2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week. Woo. We're going to get through together. Got a great show planned for you. Going to be talking about quick assessments on health. Everyone's out there dating or currently in relationships. And I'm always trying to give you some fast tips and perspectives to assess self, but also to assess other. And then we're going to be talking a little bit uh, this month on and off about suicide awareness because it is Suicide Awareness Month um really important stuff it all coalesces and, and kind of ties into and of course the dms wide open 24 365 that's right drop your questions in there on our loveline ig page whatever you got we want to hear from you whatever you're wondering about someone else might be too always anonymous and confidential you don't got to put your name in there you can also make a really fun name up <laughs> that's right uh and past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. q.com scroll down look for my face click on it so What do we want to think about when we're early dating? Y'all got it backwards. It's not about being liked. And that's what a lot of people think about, talk about, center, prioritize. What should I wear? That means what do I think they need or want to see me in? Thinking about them. Where should we go on the date? Again, overthought on how I think I need to present. Here's the thing. You'll never know. You don't know what they want to see you in. You don't know where they'd want to go eat. This is a healthy example of self-centering. Dating is not about being liked. Dating is about being known. Go as yourself, your full, total, authentic self. That's a larger part of mental health. The ability with all people in all spaces at all times to be our total and full authentic selves. Right? So, going on a date or being in a relationship should be about the presentation and vulnerability and sharing of your true self. So, as to see if we are really a match and compatible. If we are selling dreams and showing up with a false presentation or performing who we think we need to be, you cannot assess compatibility. So, again, dating is about being known, not being liked. So, when you're figuring things out, it's not, I just want to be liked, I just need to get them. That is the wrong perspective. It should be about, I want to know who they truly are, I want them to know, truly know who I am and see if that works or there's a match. We have to back off of just trying to get or thinking that you know they're hot enough or they're good on paper, that that is what really determines a happy long-term sustainable relationship because it doesn't, but you know it does? True compatibility on our deeper levels. It's called attachment theory, looking at our different dating styles and seeing if we're compatible. If you are very anxious and insecure, you should not be dating someone who's avoidant. Avoidant doesn't mean they're uninterested. Avoidant does not mean they don't want to be with you. Avoidant means they're not as intimate or as close as maybe some others. They still like you, they still want a relationship, but they don't prioritize it as much. They like a little more space. They like a little more distance. Someone who's very anxious and insecure will never do well with that kind of person. Both parties, someone who's avoidant or anxious, both need to find someone who's what we call secure. That means they're confident. They're present. They're available. They're responsive. They're interested. They don't play games. So you want to try to move towards being like that kind of person, but you want to find someone who doesn't play games. Healthy, confident people play no games. They're not manipulative. They don't follow these strange rules. They're just themselves. And through being themselves and trying to date and be with others who are themselves, they can see if there's a match. Really sit with that and let that sink in. Because some people, again, they perform being the person they think they need to be. And I always say this to my clients. If you don't like dressing up and going out to nice restaurants, don't do that. Yes, within the truth or the context of who we are, we can present the best of ourselves. But be honest, I am not the kind of person who likes to dress up and go to nice restaurants. And that's not good or bad. It just is. I'm more casual. I want to wear sneakers. I want to wear comfortable things. For me, spending time with friends, family members, or the people I'm in relationship with, it's about being with them. Everything else is the backdrop. It's the landscape. I can go to any any style of restaurant, and, and it's about the person I'm with. So for me, my first dates were always honest. Maybe a picnic, maybe a nighttime walk on the beach. More importantly, I would take them to do things that I like to do to see if they really fit into my life. I wasn't doing what I thought they needed to see me do. I wasn't you know, doing the things that I think they like to do, right? It's not an unempathetic thing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them to bring me into their life, but I brought them into mine. Went to a lot of galleries, museums, shows, Talked about the things I like to talk about to really see is this a match? So, again, I'm going to get in our next uh, couple segments to the tips. There's really three key assessment points to assess who you're dating and who you're with around. Are we really relationally healthy? Uh, But I wanted to just kind of frame it that all of it's rooted in just being our true self and hoping they will be. We're not playing games, we're not manipulating because we want to get a real match. Otherwise, If you don't do what we're talking about you end up being frustrated your entire relationship frustrating them you being frustrated because you're not a match it doesn't matter if the sex is great it doesn't matter if you think they're super hot it doesn't matter if they have the on paper everything you wanted the mental health of being with them is what matters more all those other things are structural what looks good on paper is structural that is not in any way aligned with what it's like to actually be with them when you're your true self and they're their true self. That's what we're trying to focus on. And again, in order to do that, you have to have the willingness to be vulnerable and to really be yourself, acting as yourself, dressing as yourself, talking as yourself, going to the kind of places you actually like to go. All right, we'll be back. Stick around. We're going to talk more about this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Alrighty, we're back. Essentially, we're talking about this hyper-academic intellectual thing called attachment theory. I'm watering it down and basically saying we want to find people that are a psychological match, a nervous system match, an, att- an attachment-based match. Not, We're not looking for people that, you know, again, we think are hot. We're not looking for people that are good on paper. Those are really primitive ways of trying to assess a partner. Those are the things you use to find a cool prom date or a very casual person to date when you're younger. But as adults, we look for psychological matches, people that are relationally healthy. And the only way we can do that is by focusing on the truth of what it's like when we're with them and not getting hung up on, I just need to be liked. I want them to like me or I need to get them. So what do I have to do to get them, right? And that means we're false self. We're presenting, we're selling a dream. We're playing games. So if you hear yourself doing that, like I'm gonna wait a certain amount of time to text them back or I'm gonna do things I don't normally do that is not within the context of who I am, right? Or I'm gonna like play a game and try to make them feel bad or be dis... All of that is a mess. Interested, healthy people like signs of interest. No one that's interested in you will ever think you're reaching out too often or too soon. No one who's interested in you will be sad that you texted right away. Interested people like signs of interest. So... Again, it's good to know while we're being our true self whether or not that works for them. We wanna see that and we can't see that unless we're being our total, full, authentic self at all times. So the first tip, drum roll, to assess the relational health of this person while with us because that's what we're looking at. Not do we look at it on paper, that's for children, that's for finding a prom date or you know whatever it is. We're assessing true relationality. What would it be like to be with this person? So number one, because I'm giving you the three questions to assess them, but also to assess yourself, right? Because we want to be aware of how we're moving through the world and how we're interacting and shaping the relationships we're trying to create or be a part of, right? So the first question is, how do I feel when I am with them? Not do they like me, how do I feel when I'm with them? Do I feel confident? Do I feel safe? Do I feel heard? Do I feel seen? Do I feel cared for? Do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable? That is co-created. You both create that. They, they do and can make you feel a certain way. People always make us feel certain ways. And that's important to know because our bodies, based on how we feel when we're around them or talking to them, is a good barometer to tell us whether or not they're safe or this is a safe relationship. So how do you feel when you're with them? Positive or negative? If you feel negative when you're with them, unseen, uncared for, they don't ask questions about you or your life, they're not responsive, they put you down, whatever it is, that means you are not a relational match. They're not a good match for you. We're not name calling. We're not assessing what's going on with them. We're not demanding better or different. Part of this is accepting who people are. This person, while I'm with them, does not ask me questions, does not make me feel good. I'm not going to try to ask or demand for better. This is who they are. Because if I do try to change them, it's only temporary. Because they have to, for true, ongoing, deeper change, they have to buy into the, the need to change. And, and, and often they don't actually need to change because maybe there's a partner around which their style works. It's looking at style. And that's a little more hardwired than we can really make requests for changes to occur. And it's not always even appropriate. So we're not asking people to be other than they are. We're just looking at, are we compatible? Are our styles, the amount of closeness and intimacy we want? Do we want the same levels? Otherwise, we're going to frustrate each other. So how do we feel when we're with them, right? That's powerful. And, I, and I've said this on the show before, so let me expand it. You can say the, how do I feel with them before, during, and after? How do I feel before I see them? Right? How do I feel when I see them calling on my phone? How do I feel when they're texting me? How do I feel when I know I'm on my way to see them? Positive, excited, safe, good, confident? Or bad, sad, lonely? And then while I'm actually with them, do I feel seen, heard, cared for, safe, responsive? And then when I leave, thinking back, how did I feel while with them? Before, during, and after? Really is what we're talking about when we're using that word feel. Because when we're with someone, we co-create our relationship with everyone's going to be a little different. The relationship I have with my mom is different from the relationship with my partner, which is the rela- different from the relationship with my friend, which is different from the relationship with my clients, which is my- different from my relationship with my brother. Cause me and this other person co-create something new and different. We bring different parts of ourselves out because as we interact with someone, we do impact and shape how they feel right about self and other and the world. And then they do the same to us and it's a feedback loop. So it's like we create this third thing. How do we feel about that third thing, the relationship that we create with this person? Because again, this work can be applied to friends and family members and colleagues and anyone else you interact with. How do you feel when you're with them? We're not asking them to be different. We're not demanding change. We're just sitting in the truth of what we co-create. And then we look at it and we go, is it healthy or is it not? Is it centered in mental health or is it not? And if it's not, we lovingly detach and move on because people aren't going to change because we protest, we demand. And it's not appropriate to ask someone to change. Yes, if we realize we feel good with them, we feel safe with them, we like how we feel, and in forming a relationship down the road, issues arise, it's always appropriate to share with them what it's like to be with them and to ask for minor tweaks and changes. It's called empathy. I'd want them to care about that. But we're talking about on a broader scale. You can't You can't demand change around there are levels of interest in you, authenticity, intimacy, closeness, especially when dating. Don't try to do that, find a match. Don't try to say, well, they're great on paper, which is structural, that doesn't matter, that has no impact on your mental health while with them at all. How tall they are, how hot they are, it does not matter. We're talking mental health, which is what it's like when we're with them experientially. And you can't say, oh, well, I'll work on them. You know, we'll improve that. No, you won't. No, you can't. It'll be frustrating to both of you. And that's actually not very relational. Go find your match. When we come back, we're going to talk about the second tip. Tip number two. It's an important one. So stick around for that. But in the meantime, if you got a question for us or a topic you want covered. Slide it into our DMs. DMs are on our Loveline IG page. Want to hear from you? Questions, topics. Drop them on in there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we are channelq.com, is where you can go to check out other episodes, post them, share them, binge them. We'll be back though, so stick around. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about the three questions that we want to use to assess relational health. How much of a match this person is for us, how much of a, you know, how good of a partner they are. All these things can be applied to literally any kind of relationship you have with anyone, sexual, non-sexual, romantic, non-romantic, platonic. It's all the same questions. First one, though, we were talking about is how do I feel when I'm with them? Not do they like me, but how do I feel when I'm with them? Because that's the mental health part, right? Do they like me is about ego and insecurity and, and status and power. I want, why, why do you want that person specifically to like you? And if that matters more, just having them and getting them, if that matters more than how it feels to be with them, then you're focused on ego. You're totally focused on ego and you've moved away from mental health. Mental health is what we create when we're with them. And is it positive or negative, right? And ego is how do I look with them? You know, I don't feel great, I'm insecure, so I need someone hot. Or tall or short, it makes a certain amount of money. That's ego. That's Please go work on that. We're talking about mental health and true match, right? So, drum roll, the second question is, how do they respond to me having needs? How someone responds to you presenting and asking for needs, whatever they are, is going to tell us how healthy they are and how healthy a relationship with them will be. And you can apply this to friends, family members, everyone. Apply to your boss, apply it to your... Um, your landlord, apply it to any system or institution. If I have a need, do they humanize or dehumanize? Do they not care? Do they care? That, that, That speaks to the health of that relationship, your relationship to that institution or your job or that system or a family member or your total family. Again, the first one is how do I feel when I'm there? How do I feel when I'm at the job? How do I feel when I'm working at that place? How do I feel when I'm with that friend, right? And then the second question we're applying this to dating is how do they respond when I have needs? I was looking at that even at my gym. When I go to them and say, hey, listen, I have an issue. I need blah, blah, blah. Are they responsive? Is it a good customer service? Or are they like, sorry, we really don't care. We just want your monthly money. That tells me the health of a system, just like it tells me the health of a person. So early dating, please, again, we're, we're trying to assess true compatibility. And that's about us being known. Ask for things, have needs. So you can really assess early on their health, their attachment style, their relational health. When you have a need, hey, I would love to talk more, or hey, it'd be great to see you more, or hey, sometimes when we talk, ba ba ba, can you be a little soft? Whatever the need is, are they responsive and supportive or are they shaming, unavailable and ignoring? Do they ignore your need? Do they shame you? Oh, you're needy. You're clingy. You're not needy or clingy. You want a certain level of closeness, connection, and intimacy. And apparently they think that that is not acceptable. You are not a match. Move on. Don't demand. Don't fight. Don't battle. Don't even get angry. They're not wrong. You're not right. They're not wrong because they want less intimacy or closeness or commitment. You're not right because you want more. You're just different. Go find the friend, the family member, the the gym That wants true care and connection that actually wants to take care of you. So having needs are very important to express, but people do the opposite. Why? They just want to be liked. They just want to get the guy or the girl. And so they hide their needs. And then they go to their friends saying, I wish I heard more from them. Why don't they text me more? Tell them you want that. And if they give it to you and they're like, great, of course, I think you're awesome. I'd love to hear from you more. And they, they say, that's great. That's a good sign. But if they're like, you're clingy, you're needy, we want different things or blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're not a match, man. Awesome. All the best. No anger, no frustration, no disappointment. No one's right. No one's wrong. But having needs is an important way to assess someone's attachment style, aka the relational health. Because again, otherwise, just moving forward anyway, thinking you're just going to work it out. You're gonna be frustrated, they're gonna be frustrated, and that is not the point of relationship. And again, we're assessing ourselves, right? How do you respond as a parent, as a friend, to, so, or someone who's dating, you know, dating someone? How do you respond when people in your life have a need? Hey, can you talk for a minute? Hey, can you watch, you know, my kid, I, I have court, I don't freaking know. How do you respond do you shame them for having needs do you ignore them or are you available and present that's called being a good parent it's called being a good friend it's called being a good partner it's called being a good husband and wife that that need piece is massive because we need to be mirrored back in healthy relationships we need to be with people that are reliable consistent responsive all this is on my instagram at dr donahue and at my twitter at chris donahue and my facebook I keep posting all this stuff. Of course, it doesn't get a lot of likes. When I, sh- when I put a thirst trap up, y'all are like, 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 like. And then I put some of this stuff up and it's like, nah, we good. But this is the kind of stuff that'll save you. This stuff matters more, you know. Um, but that need piece is huge. When we come back, we're going to slide into, oh, I'm sorry, when we come back, we're going to slide into the DMs. And then after that, we're going to come back and talk about the third question. So stick around for that. But again, DM's coming up next. you have got a DM for us. Drop it in our Loveline IG. Any questions you got, anything you want covered us to drop into deeper, let us know. And uh, we are channelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face and click on it. And there's past episodes where, you know, we're always kind of doing a lot of this stuff. You know, I might use different topics as like, as, a, as I say, like the entry point. But these are all more universalizable skills for all of us. So, anywho, we'll be back with the DMs. Stick around. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs.
3: Sliding into the DMs.
1: All right, this one says Hey, Dr. Chris, I've been with my boyfriend for a little over a year. We've talked about politics. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> And he made me believe that he was on my side of a lot of things. So he lied to you. He's been manipulating you. Cause if that's the case, time to go. We don't want to be in relationships with people that lie, and manipulate just to get us to like them. That is, that's an act of psychological abuse. Yeah, Totally. Um you said, including, this is what you've been on the same page, or so he's represented himself, uh, who he voted for our social justice views. And the reason why that's important is that's about mental health and ethics. If someone's like, "Yeah, I don't care about trans rights, you know what I mean? I'm cool with like the homeless not getting health care and housing, like, wow, you don't really have a lot of ethics and your mental health is tanking because there's no empathy or concern. That's a little narcissistic or even sociopathic. We're trying to move away from that. How people see others in the world, is going to also show them their how they're gonna see you, right? Like that's in there. Um, back to your question. You said, I, I went back to his hometown to meet his family for the first time, and they're all avid Trump supporters. Wow, that must have felt very unsafe and toxic, which is something he never told me. But see, we need to tell people that. If you're bringing someone home and their family is racist or transphobic and your partner that you're bringing home is, is of color or black or trans, That's an act of violence to bring them into an unsafe environment where people hate them behind their back, in front of their face. I don't know. You need to not do that. And you need to let them know what they're walking into. And if someone's told you, I have compassion-centered ethics, and you want to bring them home to family members who politics sometimes exclude some people as having worth and value, you want to tell them that so they can decide if they want to be brought into that. That's a boundary violation. Uh, back to your question. You said, I feel like I've been lied to. Because you have. You've been lied to powerfully on many levels. And you should not trust this person. That is not an act of trust. Um, you said, I technically never really asked about his family's views, just his. He doesn't understand why I'm upset. But this is really important. Is there a way, is there a way this gets better? Or do I have to stick to my boundaries? How's it, I, 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 I mean, if your question is how do I convince him out of his views, I don't know how to help you with that. But you need to set boundaries. Um saying maybe I don't want to be around people that think in those ways. Um, I, I don't know. I think the question's really you going back to him and saying, I need to better understand why you lied to me and misrepresented yourself and your family so, as, so that I have enough information to decide if I feel safe enough seeing you ever again, right? Like often people withhold information because they're protecting themselves or something, not you. And so there's a lot to unpack in that. But I don't, we can't change this person, but you can let them know that you're very uncomfortable with what you've been told, uh, that it makes you feel unsafe and put it on him to make it make sense. This is not your burden to carry. You haven't lied or misrepresented anything. Make it, give it back to him. Hey, you've lied to me about yourself and your family. I'm giving you an opportunity to make me feel safe and to be able to repair trust and everything he says and does after that will determine that. And if you still don't feel good afterwards, then it's time to move on. We're not moving forward in relationships anymore with people that lie or harm us. The very bottom bar should be that you are treated with care, love, and respect at all times. We are leaving relationships where we are emotionally or physically abused. And that kind of misrepresentation is not safe, right? Like that doesn't speak well to his character. Um, and you have a right to determine who you're around and who you let be around you. That's the mental health issue and understanding people's perspectives. And it's not just an opinion when we're talking about the worth or value of human beings, that is not opinion. That's a, that then becomes about something far greater than that. you know And if this person claimed to understand your social justice values, it's very bizarre to me um, that they then just brought you home to you know family members that if they're avid Trump, Fans, all I know from that world is that there's a lot of racism, misogyny, homophobia. Yikes. Yeah. Everyone in my life knows that I have no interest in being a part of that or around that ever because it's a mental health thing, you know? Um, Sorry to hear that though, but I'm glad it's come to light, you know, sooner than later. So let me know how that goes. Good luck on that one, you know? All right, y'all, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to be finishing up talking about. Some of the uh tips for assessing. So uh timely DM, the uh relational health of our partners, and then we're gonna be doing a little suicide talk, so content warning uh for suicide awareness month. That's the month we're in. So content warning though, that's what we'll be talking about. So take care of yourselves if y'all need to. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we're back and we're talking about the big three questions. And these are really important because they really help us identify someone's attachment style. And what that really means is their relational health, but it's really not about shaming or pathologizing or blaming or fighting. It's really looking at do we want the same things? Are we compatible? Are our attachment styles compatible? Because if you want more and they want less, it's just gonna frustrate each other and it's just gonna be a big battle. And that's what everything becomes about. Do they like me? Ugh, they want too much. They're clingy. They're, they're too distant that you're not a match, you're not a match, you know, go find your match, but we're also assessing ourselves. The first question was, how do I feel when I'm with them? The second question is, how do they respond when I have needs? But we're assessing ourselves as well. How are you when someone in your life has a need? Are you available, supportive, responsive, or do you shame, ignore, right? And now we're moving into the third question. This is a biggie. This tells us everything about the health of whatever relationship or place or system or institution we're a part of. How do they treat you during conflict? And this is massive because I wait for someone to have conflict with someone else. Conflict is healthy. There's no conflict. I'm like, y'all are One of you selling yourselves out. One of you is not practicing being radically authentic. You're just trying to be liked and that doesn't help. That, That breeds frustration, resentment, but conflict, as soon as it can arrive, helps us understand how healthy we are as a couple or how healthy we are as friends and family members and what we can expect moving down the road. If whenever conflict arises, things get nasty and the wheels fall off, time to get out or to really work on it. But a lot of people aren't interested or open to working on it. And if we're early dating, it's not appropriate to think in those terms because you don't even know this person. You know, go find a better match. But again, how they deal during conflict tells you so much about their mental health and their relational health, and also the health of you being in their life. Are they calm and soothing and compassionate during conflict? Or are they cruel and bullying and violent? Get out if they're cruel, bullying, or violent. They're not interested in a truly healthy relationship. Because in a healthy relationship, their conflict is acceptable. Hey, that was a bummer that you forgot my birthday. You know what I mean? It was, it was a bummer. I was really hoping you'd honor it. And then the person's like, oh my God, I know. I'm really sorry. I feel horrible. And the other person says, okay, I get it. I know you care about me. Thank you for apologizing. So what's for dinner? And we move on because we know that we care about each other. It's not any deeper than that. But if you tell someone like, hey, I wanted to reach out. Like, I was kind of bummed. I didn't see you at my birthday party. I was really hoping you'd go. And you're saying it like I just said it. Very calm, very safe, You're trying to learn, you're curious, you're you're trying to stay connected. It It gives the best framework for this other person to feel safe saying, I'm really sorry I let you down. Let me let you know what was going on. But you have to be empathetic, you have to be calm. You have to be curious. Healthy adults in relationships are curious. They want to understand so that we can stay together, stay friends, stay in a romantic relationship, stay married. But if you're always entering it agitated, bothered, or angry, you're not even being honest. Go to the primary emotion, which is usually sadness, disappointment, frustration, loneliness. It's soft. It's vulnerable. But when you're when you're coming into a conflict hard, mean, aggressive, angry, cruel, you're on a secondary emotion. You're just being reactive. Reactivity gets us nowhere. Wait to talk to that person until you can get back to the primary emotion, which is always soft and vulnerable. I'm hurt, I'm sad, I'm disappointed, I'm lonely, I felt left out, lead from that place, speak from that place, stay curious, the other person should stay curious. Because again, in conflict with someone we enjoy, we love, we value, it should be calm, soothing, compassionate, not agitating, cruel, resentful, violent. So we're doing all this to assess ourselves and our partner, because again, as I say, almost every session, you want your presence in someone's life to make it better. And you want everyone who's present in your life to make your life better. If your presence in someone else's life on any level, as their colleague, as their boss, as their barista, as their friend, as their sex partner, if you're making their life harder, more difficult and more complicated, you have healing to do. I don't care what the context is. We shouldn't be harming people. It's never acceptable. Even if you're like, ah, I'm just the barista. It does matter. Be better, right? And we have to assess ourselves. Are we making people's lives harder? Or is this person making our life harder? Because if so, it's time to exit. That is not why we connect with people. We all have healing to do. Be part of making someone trust more. Be part of making someone believe that better is available. Be part of making someone be able to be vulnerable and trust and let go. Don't be the person that reminds them, that's right, I can't trust people. That's right, people aren't safe. That's right, relationships harm right? We have so much healing to do. And that's why like, I don't even want to talk about the COVID stuff anymore, because it's not good for my mental health. Because we're battling about putting a mask on our face. My God, it's such a small request. And people are unwilling to do it. That's sociopathic. Those are people that don't understand what relationship is about. There's no care, there's no compassion, you know, just asking someone to wear a darn mask to protect the servers at the restaurant and other people that are immunocompromised or whatever it even is. People aren't even willing to do that it's really disheartening. It sets me off. I can't even get into that piece, you know? Um, All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, a little bit of a content warning. It's Suicide Awareness Month. We're gonna talk about ways to help prevent suicidality in ourselves and other people. So, you know, again, content warning, if it's not something you're ready for, something you might be triggered around, it's time to change the station, but uh, we're gonna dive deep into it. And then uh, we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics you want covered. Good to go. And uh, wearechannelq.com. That's where you want to go if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline. Uh, We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Lady Gaga's jazz and piano Las Vegas residency returns to Park MGM October 14th through the 31st. Go to wearechannelq.com for your chance to win two tickets, a hotel stay at Park MGM, round trip airfare for two, plus $500 in spending money. Tickets are on sale now at ticketmaster.com. Don't miss Lady Gaga's jazz and piano residency shows, Las Vegas. We'll be right back with more Loveline. All right, we're back. And again, another content warning. We're going to be talking about death by suicide and suicidality at Suicide Awareness Month. So we're going to be dropping into all that um, important stuff, though. Uh, You know, again, just as a quick tip, we we no longer say... um, We say death by suicide. That is the most supportive, loving way to frame that. Death by suicide. Uh, But anyway, suicide prevention, what does that mean? Well, it means everything I've been talking about thus far. Caring for others, compassion, looking out for other people, caring about our neighbor, caring about people in other states, caring about people in other countries because we're all humans and we can make up these arbitrary made up dividing lines. Oh, they're a man, I'm a woman. You know, I'm black, they're white. Um, ah, they're straight I'm gay oh they're they're over they live in Afghanistan I'm American none of these things matter we're all people we should have care and respect for everyone period end of story And part of suicide prevention is not othering others, not deciding that some people don't have worth and value. So if you really want to work on ending suicide, stop thinking you're better than other people for these arbitrary made-up identities. You're not better than homeless people. Treat them with respect. You're not better than someone who's got an addiction. They deserve all their basic needs met. We're not doing tough love. We're not letting them hit rock bottom. You have someone you love who's an addict. You give them somewhere to stay. You feed them, you clothe them while they're struggling to get sober. Just like you would do that with someone who's dealing with depression. You wouldn't say, well, you're depressed so until you're not I'm going to have to kick you out I'm going to let you hit rock bottom with your depression so no food no housing maybe then you'll start to smile and cheer up that sounds disgusting we would never do that why are we doing that to people that are without a home or people that are struggling with addiction be better why are we doing that to people that are gay or people that are trans why are we doing that to people that are fat or larger bodied or disabled People are saying, oh, the PC police. Yeah, we're protecting people's lives. We want everyone to know that they have worth and value. We're not making jokes about people that are othered or marginalized or oppressed. We're ending those things. It's sociopathic to think that people are worth making fun of. It is sociopathic to think that some people's lives don't have worth and value for whatever reason. That's part of suicide prevention is rolling that back and always thinking, how how am I impacting others? How can I make this person's life better? Buy them food. Oh, someone's asking for money. Maybe they do need to use that money to get high to deal with a craving. Maybe that will improve their quality of life. Let's stop putting down people that are uh, lower socioeconomics and what they're spending their money on. Everyone de- deserves a little joy and pleasure. Do you know what it's like to struggle with socioeconomics, which, which is often rooted in things like being gay or, or a, a person of color? Do you know that the highest rate of suicidality and homelessness is with trans and gay youth because they're kicked out of their houses because of an arbitrary thing, their identity? Right? So, how do we move away from that? Well, when you're an oppressed, marginalized individual, you still deserve a little joy. So, it's okay if you spend your money on things other people don't support. Do you see how it all comes back to an ethic of care and concern? <clears throat> so, we have to work to make the world a safe place for everyone, destigmatize. Right? We talk about individual resilience. Yes, that's important. But I wanna create a world where people don't have to be resilient because their needs are met and they're getting respected and cared for. That is how we start to end suicide prevention. Stop name calling, stop attacking, stop mocking, stop making jokes. Help people, stop othering. That's That's the number one thing we can all do. It's easy. It's easy. That part's easy. Mental health issues are often invisible, sometimes even to ourselves. So that's why we talk all the time about asking people, how's your mental health? Because if you just say something like, how are you? People say good. But if you say, how's your mental health? You're saying to them, I actually care. You're saying, I'm a safe space. I'm a safe person to talk to, honestly. And it might stop them in their tracks. They might actually turn back and say, thank you for asking, I'm not doing so great. And then you can say, tell me more. I'm here to listen. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to have a solution, because often there isn't one. And it's not your job to provide that. Just be present. Just listen. I always share the scene in the movie Lars and the Real Girl. Go watch it, Ryan Gosling, if not just for him. It's a great movie. And I love the way they treat mental health. This person is struggling, and so he falls in love and starts dating a plastic doll, a human doll, because he needs care. It's a transitional object, as we call it. It's something that holds a place. It's a placeholder until he feels ready to connect to a real person. But at some point, the doll dies. Because essentially, unconsciously, he realizes, I, never, I no longer need this placeholder. I'm ready to reemerge and to really date and be with a human. But when the doll dies, people are like, how do we mourn with this person? What do we do? And a very wise woman says, we just sit. We just sit with him. When someone's grieving or mourning, just be with them. You don't need to say anything. Don't tell them to look on the bright side. Don't tell them things will get better. Don't distract them. Just sit with them. They just don't want to be alone in their pain. You're going to visit a sick person in the hospital or someone dying. Just be with them. Just be present because it's really all about connection. Addiction is not a disease. It's a disconnection. It's not feeling safe, getting our needs met or connecting to others. That's what happens in grief and loss as well. The solution to a lot of things is care and connection. And the cause of a lot of our issues are a lack of care and a lack of connection. And we want to bring that back in and prioritize that. So we can all start to do that. If you're at a party and someone's sitting alone, go talk to them. At school, if you see someone without friends, go invite them in. If you haven't heard from someone in a while, give them a call and ask them how they've been. Get on the phone with them. You know what I mean? That's what this is all about. Asking people, how is your mental health? It's an act of care. You might be the only person that day, that week, that month, that year, that showed them an act of care. I want us to touch more with consent, of course. Touch your friends, hug your friends, hold your friends' hands. Look at them in the eye. Hug your kids, tell your partners you love them. Get in the habit of telling everyone you love that you love them. Normalize that, especially if you're a man in our culture. Normalize telling your friends you love them. Normalize hugging your kids. Give your kids a kiss and say, I love you. Make that normal. Make that something that we all have access to. Make that something that we all hear so much of that maybe those that need to internalize that start to. We all need that mirroring. We need to know that we have worth and value. Remember, our self-worth and self-esteem is relational. It's not an inside job. It's an outside job. We need others to mirror that back. It's called intersubjectivity. We know this. We need others to remind us that we have worth and value. And oftentimes, suicide is about realizing I don't have worth and value. Not realizing it, but thinking it. Or not having access to others or not feeling like you have purpose and meaning. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to finish off talking about suicide prevention. It's an important topic, so uh, dig your heels in and stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back, and uh, we're just finishing up talking about suicidality and suicide prevention. It's National Suicide Prevention Month and Awareness We're gonna be weaving little pieces of this throughout the show. We kind of always are. Even when I'm not using that word, we're still doing work on that. We're also doing trauma work. Trauma work doesn't mean we use the word trauma or even look at things that have happened. Trauma work is really being in the present and looking at how it shows up now. By not even using that word, how does the trauma show up now? But just looking at what struggles do you currently have in your current primary relationships? That is where trauma shows up and that's how we heal it. But we don't often even use those words. And often we're doing suicide prevention without even using those words by just being caring and connecting, by saying to people, you matter, by saying to people, how are you? How's your mental health? The most powerful, loving thing you can do to heal all is to let people know you're there and that you care. Consistency, responsiveness, availability, reliability. That's what we need. We especially need that from our primary attachment figures, a.k.a. the people we're married to and you know dating in a committed way. We also need that from our fans and friends and family members. That's always like what the lens is about. So again, we're asking people, how's your mental health? We're letting them know like we're, we're a safe space for that. But also what else is suicide prevention? Living wages are suicide prevention. So companies and bosses, give, your, give your, the people that work for you that actually pay your bills, right? Because you need workers as much as they need you. Give them living wages. That's an act of suicide prevention and mental health. Give them universal health care. Well, that's not something a job can give. A job should give healthcare, but universal healthcare is something we should mandate for everyone. You shouldn't have to have a job to get your basic needs met. Universal healthcare for every single human being because they have that right and that worth. Access to mental health services is part of suicide prevention. What else is suicide prevention? We kind of talked a little bit about this in our earlier segment, but ending oppression, racism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism, ableism, classism, body shaming, all of those undermine our mental health. We can't work on improving mental health or preventing death by suicide without addressing those social and systemic violences. Those are the causes, or those are the weak, those weaken the foundation to allow for whatever else happens to just lead, to death by suicide or reduction in mental health, right? Suicide prevention is also dismantling toxic consumerism. The idea that our worth is only tied to how much work we do, how much we own, how much money we have, saying you aren't okay as you are, right? We have to be seen as having just inherent value. Suicide prevention is also community care because we are responsible for the needs and health of everyone around us individualism, where I only have to worry about me, or I only have to worry about my family, or I only have to worry about my neighborhood, or I only have to worry about my state, or I only have to worry about my country, that's toxic, and that's not even true. That's sociopathic, that's narcissism, right? Where you have to take responsibility for the care of everyone, treat others better. So suicide prevention is when we're not bullying, or trolling, or posting hate on someone's social media, right? not shaming or mocking people, that is suicide prevention. Otherwise, if you're trolling and you're mocking and you're making jokes of people, you are actually part of their suicidality. You're a part of that system. You're undermining their mental health and their self-worth. You're making the world scarier. Suicide prevention is also working less and resting more. We're overworked. We're stressed. We need more rest. We need more pleasure. We need more fun. That's suicide prevention. Add more fun and play to your day, to your week, to your year. That is how we do that. Suicide prevention is also talking openly and honestly about our mental health struggles. This this way we can get support, we can get help. It also reduces the stigma. So do you see the commonality? This is something all of us can do. These things are very simple. They're foundational, they're ongoing. I think that's the other thing, they're ongoing, right? And we can really impact the mental health of people we've never met by doing these things because these things are often systemic. Every time we tell a joke or bully someone, we're normalizing that, that idea, that concept, and someone else might step in and do that. They might take it further. They might amplify it. So it's, again, really about connection and care. If that's all we did, we'd be doing a lot. It sounds small, but it's massive, and it's like the butterfly effect. Those small moves impact someone who impacts someone else who impacts someone else, and it keeps rolling out but we have to look at all the relationships we're a part of. And this is where it just comes back to general dating. Look at the health of the relationships you're in. Cause that's going to speak to your health and your partner's health. And that's why I'm always saying is your presence in someone's life as their friend, their partner, their parent, is that making their life better or worse? Cause that is part of suicide prevention, making it better, being a safe space a resource, someone to mirror back. You have worth and value. You're worth sticking around. You're worth keeping around. Please stay. we need to have places or sites in our life where that's told to us. Imagine moving through the world where you're always mocked or bullied or put down because you're trans, because you're fat, because you're an addict, because you're gay. That is not suicide prevention and that is not mental health. We all can be a part of that. Shutting down other people doing it, stopping ourselves from doing it, changing the way we interact on social media, we have to get better about this. We have to call it out for what it is. Don't stay silent. Get loud. Make good troubles, they say. You know, we, we have a lot of changes that are needed. But again, we'll keep talking about all this on the show. It's something that we need to be talking about all the time because it's ongoing work, like we said. Um, so coming up next, though, we're going to be uh, sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our love line. IG page, anything you want covered. Topics are great to hear about as well. We want to get your, we want you to get your needs met. Uh, and also, if you want to check out other episodes, go to wearechannelq.com. Look for my name and the show, and click on it, and bam, there they all there. They're all there. You can binge, post, share, we listen. So stick around, though. DMs coming up next. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back.
3: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: All right, y'all. We are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs.
3: Sliding into the DMs.
1: All right, DMs, as always, come from our Loveline IG page. Slide them right in the DMs. Any topics you want covered or questions answered. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I just recently had to move back in with my parents and it's been a pretty rough transition. I'm 32 now and I'm reliving all of the things that were toxic in my childhood. See, that's what happens, right? It's uh, interesting how we go home, we revert back to our old self, the self that took place in that family, family of origin stuff, right? Because a lot of times our family still are the same. Personality-wise, characterologically, a lot of the same issues are there, and so our old self emerges. And some of that's the pressure. They, they, it, it's a, it, you know, again, it's always co-created whenever we step into relationship with someone. So they're, you're triggering them back into their old way of relating to you, and they're triggering you into your old way of relating, and we just slide right back, and it becomes mutually reinforcing. And so the best thing to do is knowing that, because that usually always happens with family, is to have a consciousness and say, I want to make sure I'm not playing out old patterns and I can interrupt that cycle by being a little more conscious and aware of myself and stepping into and and living, right? And relating to them from a more adult, higher conscious self, you know, not falling back into those old traps. So if you feel like, wow, this is a lot of familiar, the way we interact and conversate, um, change that. You can change any system by showing up differently. Be more soft. Be more loving. Be more available. Set maybe more boundaries, right? But they'll be different if you're different. Back to your question. You said it's, we are all those toxic things. Yeah, I know. It's tough. You said the anger of fighting between my parents and my brother basically ruling the house. That you have to let go of. You can't you know, shift your parents or your relationship your parents have with your brother, that's, that's their stuff. And I know it's hard to watch. Um, you just be your better self. You don't have to fall into that. You can still hold boundaries with your brother, you know what i mean um stay out of the fights with your parents if they try to pull you in or you know whatnot anyway back to what you said you said my mom won't go to therapy okay my dad uh i think has given up i'm sorry to hear that you said my brother is in therapy but it doesn't really seem to help anything well we don't know because maybe their work is deeper or not related to what you think it should be right i, I don't we don't really know what he's working on but I'm glad he's in therapy that's a sign that he does care and that change will occur it's just Remember, when people enter therapy, the presenting issue isn't always the actual issue. And sometimes the presenting issue is something that's more important to him. Maybe he's working on purpose and meaning in his life and how he relates to your family is secondary or tertiary. Or maybe it it can take years to undo what's taken decades to build in. I think some people think that like popping into therapy for a few months is going to undo what we've been strengthening and reinforcing for decades. Oh, my God. Nothing works like that, right? If you want to learn a a, a skill of any kind, a new language or become athletic in some way or learn a musical instrument, it takes years. But we somehow magically think, oh, a few short sessions in therapy I should be able to undo. Oh my God, no. It is years. It's a commitment. It's a journey. So let your brother be on his journey. But anyway, back to your question. She said, do I have to just accept that this is a toxic household? Yes, you do. You be your best, as long as you can tell me, dead in my face, with all sincerity and honesty, I've always been living from my better self while there, that's all you can be accountable for. But I I doubt you are, so work on that. Make sure you're being your best, because you're never let off the hook with your bad behavior because of something they said or did, it doesn't matter. I'm editing them out of the video, and I'm only looking at you, and I'm holding you accountable to everything you say and do. Be your best at all times, and it will help them improve a little bit, but it'll at least keep you feeling grounded and anchored but yes you have to accept them we always do all we can do is be our best and that's how we change the system and then you finally said that my boundaries to not live here maybe if it's that toxic you got to get out of there if it's that toxic find a way to get out of there or find a way to have better boundaries your parents fighting doesn't necessarily have to impact you directly although i know it's hard to be around and I don't know what it means that your brother's ruling the house, but you do have choices over how you respond, right? And how you move through the house. And that's all you can focus on. But if it's that toxic, work your butt off to get in place whatever you need to get in place so as to get out of there, you know? Because that will start to weigh in on you. We are impacted by what's around us we are people do make us feel a certain way our thoughts behaviors and feelings are shaped by the thoughts and feelings and behaviors of those around us it's called empathy it's called intersubjectivity. it's called mirror neurons um you know what i mean like that that's a that's a real thing social contagion like it's a real thing sociologically and psychologically all right y'all that is our show We'll be back tomorrow night. If you got a DM for us, as always, like we said, uh, Loveline IG page. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Be kind with yourself and more kind with those around you. And have a good rest of your night.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.